we're in week two of starting over. And uh, last week we shared with you that uh, the, the basic theme of this, this uh, sub-theme of this um, series, this four-week series, starting over, is this. How to ensure that next time won't be like the last time. How do you ensure like next time won't be like the last time? Whether you've been through a financial problem, whether you've been through a relational issue, whether you've been through a job issue, whatever the issue may be, uh, in life, how do we not repeat the same history, negative history that we've had in our lives? And so that's what we've been talking about uh, starting last week. Just to give you a review of that, um, the thing that we talked about last week was this, is that in areas of life that matter most, we seem to repeat our mistakes over and over. In the areas of life that's, that seem to matter most, we repeat our mistakes over and over. We don't learn all the time. And the reason I shared with that, that's, uh, that we do that is because we have these three um, myths I talked about last week that we tend to buy into. We think that they're truths, but they're myths. Uh, the first one was this called the experience myth, that experience will make me wiser. Experience will make me wiser. And last week I said, well, that's not just not true because experience will make you what? Nobody remembers. Man, that's just really bad. It'll make you older, it'll make you tireder, it'll make you all kind of things, but it doesn't necessarily make you wiser. What will make you wiser is evaluated experience. Evaluated experience makes you wiser. That just doing something, have gone through something, unless we evaluate it, uh, it, it, you don't learn anything from it. And so we're going to be talking about how to do that these next three weeks, how to evaluate our experiences. The second myth, myth we talked about last week was the know better myth. Since I know better, I will do better. And, and so often in life, we talked about what this means is this, is that we think this because we know something, that we've learned something somewhere, that we're going to do it. And we know that's not true. I mean, how many of us, and we did a survey last week, it was 100%. How many of us uh, know stuff, more stuff than we do? You know, we know how to do a lot of things. I mean, how many of us know stuff about the Bible that we don't necessarily do real well? Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm, I just raised my hand because I, I, I know a lot more about the Bible that I don't do perfectly. And so we have that as a myth as well. The, the, since I know better, I will do better. The, fi the, the final myth we talked about last week was this, the time myth. Time is against me. That we're always hurried up in life thinking about if I don't do something, I don't redo something again, that time is against me. But I shared with you the problem is this, is that time is not against you, time is your friend. And so often we rush back into things, rush back into relationships, rush back into making hurried financial decisions, rush back into, into whatever it may be, thinking that, you know, I, if I don't do it quickly, it's, it's going to slip past me. And the, the reality is time is our friend. And so we're going to be talking about these three things in the context of three um, processes or dynamics we're going to talk about for the next three weeks starting today uh, that we need to engage in to make sure that next time is better than the last time. And let me give you what the three things we're going to talk about today, uh, not today, the three over the three weeks, the three little snippets we're going to be talking about. And today, I'll, we'll talk about the first one. We're going to talk about today about owning it, about own it, and the next week about, uh, uh, about uh, rethink it, and then the third week we're going to talk about release it. That's the three things, the three dynamics, the three processes that we need to go through if we're going to make sure that next time is uh, better than last time when we've had a negative experience. So this week, the first process we're going to talk about is this whole thing of owning it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, owning it means this. In order for you to make sure that your negative history does not repeat itself, you have to own your role in your negative history. You have to own your role in your negative history. 
you have to pause long enough, not be too much of a hurry to go forward, to pause long enough to own up to your part, your responsibility. But the reason that we don't often do this is this. There's nothing to own, we say to ourselves. It's not my fault. We convince ourselves of that over a period of time because we don't want to make ourselves look bad. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's this whole thing of wanting to make sure that it's, it's somebody else's fault. I mean, you know, it wasn't my fault. She left. It wasn't my fault. Well, he's the one with the alcohol pro- problem. It wasn't my fault that, that they have an addiction. It wasn't my fault that uh, no, no one could work for that guy. You know, it's not my fault. It's, it's not my fault. Uh, yeah, she was an unfair fair teacher, you know, in school. It's not my fault that I'm the only person in the class that met an F. It's not my fault uh, that, that that's what happens. Uh, how, how am I supposed to know? How was I, it's not my fault. How was I supposed to know the economy was going to take a downturn and I didn't have anything saved for that, that potential problem? It's not my fault. And see, one of the reasons we keep repeating our negative history is because there is something in us that just won't admit our part in the failure. But today we're going to talk about this. For your, your best bet for a successful future is to own your share of the past. But don't just take my word for it. Let's look at what the Bible has to say, because it goes all the way back into the beginning. And we're going to look all the way back in the beginning of the Bible uh, to talk about this whole issue. It starts back in the, guess which is the first book of the Bible? This is really a big quiz today, you know? Genesis, that means the beginnings, okay? If you have a Bible today, turn to Genesis, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, take your... Uh, uh, outline in the bulletin, and it has, uh, it has the, book, the scriptures in there today as well, and plus we'll have them on the screen as well. So we're talking about Genesis today, uh, in Genesis. And we're going to talk about the first couple in the history of the world, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, that's who we're going to look at. And some of you are going like, Adam and Eve, I thought this was an enlightened church. My, my English teacher in college said there was, Adam and Eve was a myth, you know? If they did, you know, I'm sorry. I, I don't believe that Adam and Eve was a myth. I believe that you know the reason that, w- that, that we as Christians so often take Adam and Eve seriously? That we believe that there were, t- there were two people? It's because Jesus did. Jesus talked about them. And you know why we take Jesus seriously? The reason I take Jer- Jesus seriously is this, because if somebody predicted his own death, died and rose from the dead, I want to do whatever he says. I don't know about you guys, but that's just kind of the deal. And so Jesus did all those things. He predicted his own death, he died, and he rose again. And, and historically, it's a fact. And so the thing is, we go with who whatever he says. So even if you have a problem with the literal Adam and Eve uh, from, your, from, from, from whatever, I, I just want you to at least look at the, the scripture we're talking about today about, with the, about the incredible insights the writer has for people. And this was written, it's this ancient, ancient, ancient literature written a long, long time ago. And so this is, we're going back and we're going to start, I'm going to skip around a little bit, a couple of verses, but just this whole issue of owning up to what we, what we do it kind of began back a long time ago. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. It says this, So God created mankind in his own, own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and fem- female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. God just basically said, Hey guys, I'm going to create you. Just go and have a good time. Just increase in number. And then he, then he gives them one rule, just one rule. I mean, we have a whole bunch of rules that we live in our culture, but he had, they just had one rule. And it was an easy rule. It wasn't even a hard rule to keep. 
And that one rule, you remember what that one rule was? Don't eat of that tree, that specific tree over in the garden. You can eat any other tree in the garden, just that one tree, don't eat of that. And, and he told them that. And so guess what they did? You know, when you ask, tell your kids don't do that, what do they want to do? That, whatever that is, you know. And, we, and don't, don't act like you, you don't do it yourself sometimes. You know, we gravitate towards something that somebody says, you can't do that. You know, if the speed limit says 55, what do we gravitate toward? 60, 65, some of you faster than that, you know. And the reality is we just like to just to say, how can we push the limits? How can we push the limits? So Adam and Eve only had one rule. Don't eat of that tree. But Adam and Eve broke the rule. They, they, they did that. And, and the reality is the Bible tells us very clearly, and this is where we start from, that, that, we're, that we're, all, uh, we're, we're all sinners. We're all people who are rule breakers. And you know, you don't even need the Bible to tell you that. You just kind of know that. I think we all know that. Because we don't even keep the, our own rules, the, own, the things that we would want to do ourselves. I mean, you have some things in your brain you know that are right things to do, like how many of you know, don't raise your hands by this, but anyway, how many of you know that you should exercise every week? That you should eat healthy? That you should, uh, use, that you should use good principles of, of, of money management? That you should, um, there, you, there's some relational issues that you have to, you know, that you would like to do. How many of you know those things, but you don't do them the way you should? See, we're rule breakers. We break our own rules, our own rules. And so the reality is, is that we don't even need the Bible to tell us we have a problem. And so the, the Bible tells us that anyway. And so later on in chapter 3 of Genesis, after it goes through this little thing, it says God created everything, he, he, he laid out everything, he, he gave this one rule, they broke the rule. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8, it says this, Then the man and his wife, after they'd broken the rule, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What do we do when we break a rule? Hey, Mom, look, I broke a rule. No, that's not what we do. What we do, we hide. It's, it started all the way back. It's our nature. We hide because, because we know we've done something wrong, and so we don't want our father or our mother or God or anybody to, to know that we've done that. And you, really, you can't really hide from God, so they, but it says they hid. And then, and then, God, and then um, the next verse says this, But the Lord God called to the man, and now, this is kind of weird because I figured that God is omniscient, omnipresent. He knows everything. He's everywhere. I, I, that's kind of, but he, but in, he, in the context of this, it says this, God, the Lord God's called to the man, where are you? And the man answered. He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, one interesting thing before we go into the, the main point. You know what's interesting about this? When Adam and Eve messed up, what did God do? All the way back in the beginning. When Adam and Eve messed up, what did God do? He reaches out to them. See, God, God could simply, you know, reject us because we messed up. But all the way back in Genesis, at the very beginning, what God does is God reaches out to us even when we mess up. And then God says this, and, and he said to them, and he said, God says, And who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree I commanded you not to eat from? He's going, who told you? Who told you you were guilty of this? I mean, this is not something you've learned. 
This is something somebody told you. And then, and then this is what Adam said. Adam said, yes, I did. And I take full responsibility for my actions. Do with me as you will, but leave Eve out of this. She's innocent. Some of you are laughing. Why are you laughing? You know, you know, you know why you're laughing? Some of you are going like, why are they laughing? Because you haven't read this story before. Because you know that's not what he said. That's what he should have said. That's what Adam should have said. That's not in verse, that's not in verse 12, oh, by the way. That's not really verse 12. So that's, not, that's what he should have said. See, the very, this is interesting. The, think about this. The very first thing, the very first thing that the first two people in the world did after they sinned was what? They blamed it on somebody else. This is what it says. This is what he really said. This is what he really said. He should, should have said the other thing. This is what he really said. The, uh, Genesis 3.12. The man said, the woman that you, God, that you, God, remind you, you, God, put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. You know what he's saying? <laughs> I thought about this for a few minutes when I was reading this, and I'm going like, you know what he's really saying? He's saying this, God, this is your fault. And this is her fault. And he says, you know, you guys, and you guys need to get together and work it out, and you apologize to me, and maybe I will forgive you. Because it's all your fault. It's not my fault. Now, the interesting thing about the statement that Adam made, the man said, you know, the woman put you here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Is that statement true or false? It's true. It's true. It's just not the whole truth. It's, 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 see, it's just not the whole truth. Um, see, this is what we do in our own lives. This is what we do. When, we, when things fall apart relationally, financially, academically, we all want to tell a story that is mostly true. We just don't tell the whole truth. And after you tell all the story that is mostly true, maybe 90% true, uh, and, and you tell the story for long enough, you start to believe that the story, the whole story is true. And you hide from the whole truth. And, and if you don't own your part of your own history, you will lay the groundwork for undermining your future. That's what the scripture is all about here. It's what it's talking about. And it goes further in verse, thir thir verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, he'd already talked to the man, the man had blamed a woman and God. This is what the woman said. What is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Once again, is that statement true or false? It's true. It's just not the whole truth. The reality is, see, if you don't pause and take responsibility for your part in your history, the part that caused you to start over, you will drag it into your future. And you will undermine your own happiness. See, this, this is a reality. You cannot blame your way into a better future. You can't do it. You can't blame your way into a better future. You know, there, it may be the truth that, true, but the reality is, is that there's always, there's always, folks, we have a part in it. We have a part in, in our history, in our negative history. See, blame allows you, in a real sense, to, to smuggle our issues that we have now, none of us have issues, right? We, to smuggle our issues we have into our future. That's what blame does. It allows you to smuggle them into the future. Blame allows you to smuggle your dysfunction, 
your bad habits, your poor relationship skills, your poor decision-making, your unresolved issues, and allows you to smuggle them into your own future. And blame can be deadly because that's why we have to seriously, and blame can be deadly because that, we have to ask, seriously ask ourselves, what was my part? And you have to own it. That's what we call the sermon of the day, own it. You have to own it. You can't blame somebody else. You've got to own your part because if you want the future, the next thing you do when you start over to be better than the last thing you went through when it didn't work out too well, the first step, the first process is to own your part in the problem. See, if we don't do that, if we don't own it, blame sets us up for repeat performance. Now, a side issue with this as well as this, a big truth is this, owning your part of the past also drops the emotional temperature of the problem. I could tell you how many times I've had people in my office in counseling situations and they're, you know, they're just angry at each other. <laughs> you know, and that never happens, right? Everybody's always just nice and calm. And never! Because there's this emotional temperature that's going on because they're blaming the other person. But I have seen it time and time again when a person will begin to accept their part in the issue that it drops the emotional temperature. And as the temperature drops, you gain clarity. Because you can't make good decisions about your future without clarity. And as long as you're blaming, you're hiding, you're smuggling stuff, there is a tension that will impair your ability to see clearly your own future as you make the next round of decisions. Now Jesus made one little statement, another statement in the Sermon on the Mount that kind of addresses this issue. And he kind of talks about this. And sometimes we just pass right through this as we go through the Sermon on the Mount and we read these things. In Matthew 5, 8, he says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the word means see clearly. They will see clearly. Not just seeing, not just seeing, but, but they'll have clarity in seeing God. And what Jesus is talking about here is this relationship between purity and clarity. See, the more work you have done to clean up your junk, the stuff that you're hiding, the stuff that you've never owned, the stuff that you're afraid to admit, the more that we do that, the clearer the vision is for the future. See, if I admit my part in whatever's going on, I can't stay as mad as I enjoy being mad. And people do enjoy being mad sometimes. They just, it just kind of thrives on that. And if I admit my part, that means I'm taking away a little of what I blame you or him or her for. And if I admit my part, I can't stay as angry and the temperature begins to drop. As long as there is impurity in your thinking, you lack clarity and you, to, to ensure you that next time is better than the last time. If I admit my part, I can't stay as angry about their part. So today, I, I want you to do something today. I, this is the practical application. We're going to end today in a few moments uh, by doing the communion at the Lord's Supper together as a reflection time. But, but the thing I want you to do today is I want you to do something, because I know, know this for a fact. If you don't do something right away, you have good intentions, it won't get done. So this afternoon, this is what I want you to do. Or maybe just right now, just do it. Take your bulletin out, and I want you to draw a circle, okay? Put up the next slide. Uh, I want you to draw a circle. Just, just draw a circle. There it is on the screen. I don't have one back there, so I can't tell. Okay, there's a circle. It's, kind of, it's supposed to be a circle. It looks kind of like an oval here, kind of like warped. Okay, anyway, that's a circle. Okay, you know what we're going to call this? We're going to call this the circle of blame. The circle of blame. Okay? 
And, and what this represents is whatever issue you've been through and, and whoever the parties are in that issue, that's the circle that contains all the blame for all the failure in whatever happened, okay? So what I want you to do when you draw this circle and you think about some, something specific in your life that you'd like to start over in, whether it be a relationship or a financial decision or an educational decision, or you just go through the whole list of anything you can think about, I want you to use that as the thing. Now, let me share with you how we often divide up the circle. One way we can divide up the circle is this. Next slide. You know, 50-50. How many people would ever say when there's two parties in a situation, is any, have you ever heard a party say, oh, well, I'm 50% wrong and the other person's 50% wrong? That never happens. Never, ever, ever, ever happens. And if you're really, 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 really just, just, just godly, the next circle will represent, let's go to the next one. The next one will represent what a lot of people talk about. Well, you know, they were 75% wrong, and I was 25% wrong. I mean, that's, that's a real godly person. But you know what the reality looks like almost every time when I talk to people, and when you talk to people, and when we talk about blame? This is the last circle, last circle. Yeah, that the big part is their part, that they're to blame, and I will accept a little bit of my sliver. That's 5%, by the way, on a graph, okay? 5% of the blame there. You know, I'll, I'll circle that. So today, what I want you to do, uh, as you sit down after you and apply this message to your life, if you're going to make the next season of your life better than the last season of your life, and if you've been through something you'd like to start over in, in any area of life, draw out a circle and put it in it, what part was yours? Okay? What part was yours? And you have to own it. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. You have to own it. See, the, most, the more painful the situation is, the more likely that you will not recognize your part in it. And regardless of how small your part was, if you drag it around with you, it will undermine your future. It will, every time. You've got to own it to start over. Now let me talk about, as we close this part, let me talk about some examples of how this works. Because this whole thing of owning up to the things that happen in life that, 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 that cause us to not go forward in our future, that drag us like an anchor down because we won't own up to our part, uh, they're subtle, they're emotional, and one of the main reasons we won't own up to it is because it's embarrassing. So let me give you some examples. I've heard these before. Somebody came to me one time and said, I had a feeling something wasn't right. I just ignored that voice that said, wait or stop, that I should not do it. But I went ahead and did it anyway. That's hard to own up to. Another one is this. People I trusted warned me, but I wouldn't listen. You had a part, uh, see, you had a part, but you just didn't listen. Even though friends, close people to you, would warn you that you shouldn't do it, that was your part. You need to own up to it. Another thing that people have a hard time admitting to is, I was greedy. I was greedy. I decided I had to have it anyway, even though it was a poor decision. And it led you down a path you didn't want to go. You need to own up to that. Another one is this. I was jealous. I wanted, I wanted what they had. I wanted what my friend had. or my, you know, I wanted to keep up with my neighbors. Or I wanted to be like somebody else. And that's the reason I'm carrying this debt, or that's the reason I have this problem in the relationships, is because I want what somebody else has, and I was in too much of a hurry, and I just have to own that that's my problem. That's my part of the struggle. 
Another one that happens so often is this, is when there's problems in a relationship. I was afraid of confronting them, and it went too far. Folks, that's why I'm saying it's always. When you love somebody, sometimes it doesn't mean just let them get by with stuff. You have to own up to your part, and sometimes it means confrontation. Another thing is this, I could have said no, I could have said no and exercised self-control, but I didn't. Sometimes, you know, we just simply, we just don't want to admit that that's part of our problem. That we have a problem with that. Or another one, you know, I didn't do my best. At school, at work, I didn't do my best, I just goofed off. And that's why I don't have a job anymore, that's why I flunked out of school, that's why this happened. And you have to own that part. Because if you don't, guess what it'll do? You'll drag that into your future. And you'll make the same dumb mistake again. Because you've never owned up to your part in your past. It kind of all wrapped up in this statement. You make peace with your past by owning your peace of the past. You make peace with your past by owning your peace of the past. See, next time can be better than last time, not just because you want it to be, but because you plan for it to be. And one of the ways you plan for it to be is you evaluate your past and you own up to your part. It begins by owning it. Now, let me share with you something as we transition to the Lord's Supper in just a minute. So I ask our ushers to go ahead and get ready. And our band can go ahead and get ready backstage because they're going to be playing as well. I want you to understand something clearly this morning. This is really important, so listen. This message is not about God loving you. It's not about owning up your past so that God will love you more. You, guess, you know the good news is today that I can share with you, the greatest news you've ever heard, is that God loves you in spite of you. God loves you not because you own up to your past and everything is perfect. God loves you even before you own up to your past, just as much as he loves you afterwards. He has what's called unconditional love for you. So this is not about, you know, getting God to love you more. And so as you came to church today, he says, I want God to love me more. The good news is this, God loves you because he chooses to. What this message is about is about God working in your life to give you a life that he wants you to have in relationship with people and resources and all the things. He wants you to live the life that he has called you to live, that he has created you to live. That's what this message series is about. And today, after the service, if, if you need to talk to somebody about having a relationship with Christ, and you don't really understand that, we'd be more than glad, myself or someone else would be more than glad to talk to you about that as well. Or if you just like to fill out your welcome card, you didn't pass it in or whatever, and, and you want to fill it out and you want to know more about how to start a relationship with Jesus Christ and how he loves you, and how do you do that? How do you start a relationship with a God who loves you? Just check it on that card and lay it out at the welcome desk, and we will contact you and sit down and talk with you. That's hugely important. But that's not what this is about. This is not about God loving you more because he loves you incredibly as, as much as he's ever going to love you. This is about you living life in a God-honoring way. Free from fear. Free from, uh, from regrets. And so often we live with regrets from what poor decisions in our past. And if you want the next part of your life to be better than the last part of your life, 
the first thing is to own up to your part in your past and your negative history. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to take the Lord's Supper as a way of reflection this morning. And, and as, as we take the Lord's Supper, I don't know what tradition you you're come from. Maybe you're unchurched. I did a survey a couple, we did a survey a couple of weeks ago to kind of see where people come from. One-third of the people that come at Great Oaks have no church background. That was not surprising. And, and then the other two-thirds, I don't know where you came from, okay? <laughs> you have all kind of church backgrounds. But the reality is this, the Lord's Supper was simply a simple thing that Jesus did with his disciples in the upper room. And he said, you know, as you do this in the future, what I want you to do, I wanted to remind you of a couple of things. I wanted to remind you of my incredible love, and I wanted to remind you that your sins have been forgiven, and you don't have to live life burdened by the past anymore. And so today what I want to do is we're going to do this in a very simple way. Our band, after we pass, uh, begin to pass out the elements and stuff, the band is going to sing a song, play a song. It's going to be a song that's going to help you reflect upon the Lord's Supper. But what I'm going to get you to do this morning is this. That we're going to have the ushers to come forward in just a minute after I pray. They're going to hand out the bread, which is a little wafer that looks like this, okay? And as they hand out the wafer, at any time after you get the wafer, you can partake of it yourself. You can just pray to God, ask God uh, to forgive you for the sins in your life, ask, ask him to help you to own up to your past, whatever it may be, and then ask him to, and thank him for what he's done for your life. And as soon as they've passed out the bread, they're going to come back and pass out the cup, and you just do the same thing with the cup. The bread reminds us of the broken body of Jesus Christ. The cup reminds us of his shed blood. That he sacrificed, he did for us. You know, if Jesus, if we were to draw a circle, and the circle would be the circle of blame between us and God, guess what would be in the circle? God wouldn't be there. There is no blame. He's perfect. All of it's us. But what God has done for us upon the cross is he has removed the blame by accepting us and loving us in spite of us. So this is our time to reflect upon that and just to thank God for what he's done. It's just, I mean, for most of us, probably this week has not been a time where you've had a lot of time for reflection. If you're like most Americans, it's run, 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 run. So for 10 minutes this morning as we go through the Lord's Supper, this is the time for us to quietly use the elements as a way of reflecting upon God and what he's done. And then following that, I'll pray, and then I'll give you some instructions, and then we'll leave. Okay? You got that? No more talking until the Lord's Supper's done. Just singing, reflection, and taking of the elements. Let's pray right now. God, I thank you so much for your incredible love. I pray that you would just enable us this morning just to honor you with our lives in such a way that we would live life according to your plan. God, you know, it's, it's hard for us to believe that we can't earn your favor or your love, but that's what you say in your word. Because it would always, if we try to earn it, God, it would always be incomplete. And we would always be fearful. And we would always have regrets. So this morning, God, I'd ask that you would just help us as we reflect upon what you did for us upon the cross, as we partake of the bread, which reflects, reminds us of the broken body, as we take of the cup, which reminds us of the shed blood, that it would be something that would help us to understand how incredibly deep and wide is your love for us. May this be our time of commitment to you, God, through partaking of this element that you gave to your disciples, your first disciples, over 2,000 years ago. We ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.